This is the SSBI podcast. This is all about Microsoft Power BI. My name is Lars Schreiber. Three, two, one, and here we go. Hello, Justina Lutschnik. Hello. I'm, I'm so stoked for having you here today, really. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Lars. I'm really excited to be here, too. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, you recently presented the possibilities with Power BI at the annual Gartner Bake Off session. Um, for those who do not know what this is, um, it's something like um, a competition where the world's best BI and analytics tools compete against each other. I think I can say it that way, right? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> and um, I, I guess Microsoft has put you as its best athlete in the ring. Um, <laughs> how, how did it feel? Was it more of a privilege or more of a burden for you? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting way of, of putting it. Um, I think it was, okay, so first it was definitely a privilege. It was very exciting to be able to represent Power BI in the Gartner Bake Off. Um, it was definitely a lot of work. So, uh, you know, we basically get the data set a month before the Bake Off happens. This year it was a little bit different, of course, because with, uh, with COVID, uh, the conference ended up getting postponed to a virtual setting in September. It was meant to take place in March. But oh. the way it usually uh, typically works is you basically get the data sets um, a month beforehand, and then you get the business problems that Gartner wants you to solve. And there's multiple different sections, all the way from uh, presenting the story to the analytics, to the data prep, to the sharing collaboration, and then a cool differentiator. And you basically just have a month to go and pre prepare everything. And it's it's quite a lot of work, you know, you have to, the, the data is often very messy. <laughs> it's yeah. often very, um, you know, not, not very nicely structured and you have to really dig through it. So there's a lot of work to prepare everything. And, and you also want to do the best job that you possibly can because, you know, you'll be representing the product and everyone, sure. you know, everyone's going to be doing an amazing job. But, you know, we I had the really great privilege of working with, with Miguel um, from the Power BI CAT team to who helped do the visual design of the reports and that got a lot of praise. Miguel uh, Myers, it, right? Yes, Miguel Myers, yeah. yeah. So he, if, if for those who don't know him, he's an absolute genius when it comes to just, you know, creating these amazing, amazing and beautiful reports. And so we worked closely together on just the look and feel of it. I worked with Amir, who's our CTO, Power BI on the story aspect of it, and we did a lot of run-throughs together. So I feel like I'm up for success with the team that that we had, um, and yeah, so it was it, it was a great. It ended up being a great experience. I, I did really enjoy it, and and it seems the community really likes the the outcome, the reports. I was I got to share the Power BI file with a lot of people. Um, so I think all in all, it was you know a, a great um, a great experience, and I was you know I was really happy to be able to participate in it. Yeah, and the outcome was amazing. I, I saw the video you recorded, and um, as you said, you shared the the PBIX file recently um, using GitHub. I think um, yeah. I will definitely put the the link to to this GitHub repository 
um, in the show notes to this uh, podcast episode that so that everyone can see it. Um, yeah. yeah, it was, was oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I could learn a lot, especially um, about the usage of the AI visuals and, of course, also how Miguel does um, m making it beautiful. He was, uh, mm -hmm. um, I think it was the first English episode I made that was with him. So oh, uh, we, okay. we talked also one hour or so. He's such a nice person. He knows so much oh, about yeah. it. No, he's amazing to work with. And he had just so many, you know, amazing ideas. And like, I'd start with this rough outline and, and it just, you know, it looked very basic. And then he would kind of take over and it would just, it would just be amazing. And he'd throw in his own ideas of not even just how to lay things out, but how to structure things so the story really came together. Like if you saw, you know, that first page with the map and the tree yeah. map and the bar chart and how all those colors changed as the story went, like that was all him. And it was just incredible just seeing it come together. It was so exciting. So um, no, he did a phenomenal job on it. And I I'm glad, yeah, we can share the files so others can just, you know, get some ideas from it for, for their work as well. That's That's great. Yeah, because you you said uh, the changing colors even in the in the tool tip uh, that appeared mm -hmm. when you were moving the mouse over the map, um, the colors changed appropriately. So yeah, that was great work. He he has a lot of attention to detail <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. imagine, and and yeah. as I as I expected, um, the demos were um, a lot about AI and Power BI. That's <laughs> that's your field, and um, you're in charge of the AI team at the power bi team right yeah yeah that's that's correct and uh, yeah on, on the gartner stuff like I, yes i will definitely be a little bit biased and throw in as much ai as, as possible and i think it was well received <laughs> um but yes i i own the ai features for for power bi and actually recently i've also um taken over some of the uh, data flows work in power bi as well so that's kind of a new has been a new addition to my mandate which is pretty exciting nice uh, congratulations <laughs> thank you yeah getting to focus on some of that side of things uh as well yeah <laughs> so which features exactly are you and your team or teams uh, in in that case responsible for You're doing data flows, you're doing the AI visuals, what else? Yes, yeah, so uh, there is, from the, uh, in the AI space, it's the AI visualization, so things like key influencers, decomposition tree, um, now the new smart narratives visualization as well mm. that uh, we've recently shipped. Uh, there is also the, um, it, more in the data prep side, so the automated machine learning capabilities in Power BI, as well as the cognitive service integration and the Azure machine learning integration. Uh, we've also got R and Python integration and Power BI that, that comes into uh, the story as well. Um, and then on the data flow side is the integration of data flows into Power BI. So uh, that side of uh, the, the story of, you know, how do we, um, you know, actually build these ETL pipelines and do enterprise data prep Uh, from a Power BI perspective. So, so that side of things as well. So now I understand why you shared um, Matthew Roach's last article on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I have a new, a new biased interest in, in making sure that we, you know, distribute all the knowledge about data flows as well now. <laughs> it cool. all makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, and he does an amazing job on it. So it's definitely oh, yeah, worth it. Like, Oh, yeah, no, I mean, for those, again, just selfish plug, for those who have not checked out Matthew's 
uh, you know, blog. He's also now started a YouTube channel. Um, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, maybe misperceptions when it comes to data flows, and it's it's quite a um, there's a lot of nuance with it with best practices. You know, let's say if we think about direct query, how should you be using direct query in the context of data flows, or when should you be maybe creating you know linked entities? What's the difference between linked entities, computed entities? Um, how do you structure your data flows to really um, get the most out of them. Matthew has created a ton of amazing content in this space. Um, so I would highly, highly recommend for everyone to check out his blog, his YouTube channel. Maybe Loris, you can include that in the, yeah, the yeah, comments for sure. as well. Definitely. <laughs> Um, because I think those are some of the greatest resources we have on getting started with with data flows. Yes. Sometimes I wonder if he if he is still working for Microsoft because when he's not creating videos or blog contents, he's cutting trees. Uh, with his oh, sword. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's doing so much more than just doing the blogs. And I mean, he does so much within uh, Power BI as well from the, you know, cat team. You know, when he has time, whether it's cutting trees or baking, you know, how do you yeah, see yeah. his yeah. amazing bakes? Oh, my God. This is, the, I think, the main thing about, I think I miss about being in the office is when Matthew would come in and bring all the amazing chocolates and sweets um, that he would be making at home. And that was definitely the highlight of my day. <laughs> I, I once had the privilege to to taste one of his, I think oh, it was yeah. orange with uh, chocolate around it. Um, oh. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's uh, definitely could could be a baker uh, if the whole if he gets bored of the whole BI space. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know him in person, but uh, Matt Filoso, who is the technical advisor to the CEO at Microsoft, uh, recently tweeted. Half of the time when companies say they need AI, what they really need is a select clause with a group by. <laughs> and um, I think that's kind of funny. Um, what my, my real question is, what can AI make easier for our day-to-day -day work? And where are its limits? So what can AI do for us? And what can it not, at least now? Yeah, and I think, you know, Matt is, Correct in, in terms of uh, the, the term AI definitely has a lot of hype around it, and it it can be uh, you know a little bit over overblown. Uh, and um, so the, I think it's a great point. And I think in a context of Power BI, when we think about AI, um, what we really want to do is create these sorts of intuitive, trustworthy experiences for our users that meet their requirements and their needs, whether they're a data scientist, whether they're an analyst, or th whether they're a business user. Often when people think about AI in the context of BI, it's about building predictive models. You know, I want to build a machine learning model that's going to predict uh, things that are going to happen in the future. I want to visualize those predictions. And I think that is a very, like, very, very important use case, but I think Uh, if we really are wanting to democratize some of these capabilities for users, that really just scratches the surface of the sorts of things that we're able to do. So that's why we kind of take a step back and we don't only focus on the predictive elements, but also thinking about how to infuse more of these capabilities throughout the whole journey of our users. So one thing that we've, uh, for example, started doing and, and investing a lot more in is this capability of infusing some intelligence directly into the visuals in Power BI. 
Mm. Uh, so we have uh, visualizations such as the key influencers visual, for example, which leverages uh, statistical models such as regressions and decision trees, but it does so in such a way that an analyst can just build a visual, like they would build a column chart or a bar, or bar chart, an end user can interact with it, um, and it really is focused on reducing the barrier to entry for some of these capabilities. Uh, similarly, some of our natural language, it's not really about you know asking questions about what's going to happen necessarily in the future, but just interacting with your data and getting answers to questions that are top of mind for you, which means that analysts don't have to build super bulky reports uh, to anticipate every single thing that might be on the user's mind. They can leave some of that exploration for like a natural language experience, for example. And so I think for us, it's not so much about just uh, focusing on, you know, we, we do have capabilities like automated machine learning or integrating with Azure machine learning um, to help you bring predictions into your reports. But it's a much wider space than just, just that use case. I think that leads over to, to my next question, which is um, the, the whole Power BI story has, has different flavors. We have the self-service side of BI with the enterprise um, side of BI and analytics. And um, this means that both the so-called citizen developers and the, the professional BI developers can let off steam in the, in the Power Platform or in the Power BI platform. Um, I think you're following the same approach with the AI development, as you already said, with the um, experience for the citizen developer. I know you have different personas at Microsoft, mm -hmm. like the Nancys and the... I, I, I forgot all the names, but... Yeah, yeah. And, and users... <laughs> we, we do a bad job where we sometimes, yeah, we talk about these personas externally and people have no idea what we're talking about. But yeah, <laughs> yes, we, we do have these different personas, you're right. <laughs> and um, you're basically giving the data scientist a chance to, to work with Azure Machine Learning inside Power BI and you give the, the analyst or even the, the usual business user like, like me, I've been a uh, financial controller for 11 years, uh, the chance to do AI on different levels and different entry levels, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it really, I think, depends on the persona. And, and I often get asked the question of, hey, you know, so you're telling me I can do machine learning in Power BI, but then I have also Azure machine learning. So, you know, which one should I be using and, and why? And We're not trying to replace any of the tools that data scientists would be using on you know, their day-to-day -day basis, whether they're using Azure Machine Learning, whether they're using R or Python. It's about complementing that story and then expanding the audience for those technologies. So if you are a data scientist that's building a model in Azure using Python, then we want you and encourage you to keep doing that. And there's many benefits of doing that, uh, right? If you deploy a web service in, in Azure, that model can be reused by many different services and can be built into custom, uh, you know, custom pipelines or work, um, or work streams. And so we definitely don't want to limit any of those scenarios, but instead say, that's absolutely fine. You can call those models directly from Power BI as well. So we try and encourage these collaboration stories uh, when, you know, wh when that makes sense for our users. But we also have a scarcity of data scientists. Uh, data scientists are, um, you know, in great demand and often there's many, many problems they could be looking at and they're just not going to be 
uh, have the time or bandwidth within an organization to tackle all of those different problems. So here we see the opportunity of democratizing that toolkit of capabilities where we take the same technology that exists in Azure uh, and we build it into Power BI to enable you to build these machine learning models using more of a point and click experience. And uh, there is actually a technology in Azure called automated machine learning, which automates a lot of the process for a user. Uh, things like selecting the algorithm, selecting the parameters for that algorithm. Enable more of these citizen data scientists to be able to start experimenting with uh, machine learning technologies and starting to build their models as well. Um, our recommendation is, you know, if you have something that's highly, highly, you know, business critical, if you're building, um, let's say, a fraud model and where every, you know, small percentage or fraction of a percentage of accuracy makes a difference, then you probably want to be using your models in Azure because there you have the full control of tweaking all of those parameters to really, really, um, really optimize that model. But again, not everyone will have the skills to do that. And there may be plenty of opportunities and problems where that extra percentage is not going to make that much difference. But having the machine learning model in place is going to have a big impact, maybe running a marketing campaign who should you be targeting or who's most likely to convert? Mm. Um, in those cases, then using something like Power BI might be a perfectly acceptable uh, technology for building those models. And then we can just democratize those for just a lot more of our users. You, you already mentioned regression or decision trees. And um, when I remind myself uh, to, to my 11 years as a financial controller, um, my, my bosses would have always asked me, where does this figure come from? So, and when I, when I think about using, uh, for instance, the key influencer visual that um, gives me the chance of dying in a car accident or something based on, on the um, data I have, um, and I get 19%, um, my boss would want me to explain where this 90% come from. Yeah. So w w which advice would you give me here? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Lars. And I think uh, one of the things we have actively decided and intentionally decided not to do with key influencers is to go and, and, and get it to solve um, and do predictions on a individual row level. So if you, one of the biggest differences, I think, between like automated ML and something like key influencers in automated machine learning, you can actually score row by row what is your likelihood of um, let's let's take a slightly lighter example, maybe not dying in a car accident, maybe you <laughs> yes, know, sorry, um, uh, no, 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 <laughs> I'm joking. Um, maybe let, let's just say con let's say a customer converting in a marketing campaign. Yeah. Right. So we will tell you, hey, this person A over here in your data set has a 70% likelihood of converting. With key influencers, we talked a lot about whether we want to go down this route and we decided pretty intentionally we don't want to go down predictions partially because of what you just described where uh, we are a little bit worried about um, going and, and, and building the, the sort of um, experience in, into a visual uh, where a user is not uh, maybe going and having and, and building the whole kind of machine learning model from scratch. What we decided to instead focus on is Uh, giving you the top influencers for the problem that you're looking at. 
So if we go back to our marketing example, we will tell you, hey, we have observed that maybe if your um, if your customers uh, are from this particular region, they're two times more likely to convert than customers who aren't from that region. Now, what we try and do, but even there, right, the, the, your question is still valid. Where is that two times more likelihood, you know, coming from? Hmm. So there, what we've tried to do is we, in the key influencers visual, we have two parts of the visual. We have the left-hand side, which gives you the output that's coming from the model. And then the right-hand side, which gives you an indication of what your data actually looks like um, at that point in time. That's actually just being plotted based on your data model. And the way I talk with customers about the key influencers visual is think of it as hints as to where maybe you should be focusing your attention on. We're not trying to prescribe and say, if you were to target only customers from this region, your campaign would be twice as successful. But what we're seeing is we've observed an interesting pattern with customers from this region. Perhaps this is an area for you that you want to investigate further and look into. And then we leave the onus for the customer to determine whether that is an influencer that they want to action in on based on what they're seeing in their underlying data versus versus not. So it's almost meant to be uh, like a shortcut for the slicing and dicing you would be doing yourself with your data. So it, it's been a hard balance to to find between being too prescriptive versus too um, hands off with, with that kind of message. But that's the way we like to think of it is you would be doing your own slicing and dicing to figure out where your campaign is more successful versus not. We can just automate a bunch of that uh, exploration for you. We only focus on historical data and tell you about the historical patterns we have found. We're not going to try and infer anything about the future regarding this is the specific person you should target. Um, but it, it it's still like a very, I think, um, I think there's still work to be done there, right? I think we still do get those questions about calculations and sometimes with statistics it is there are multiple factors going in you're looking at the number of observations you're looking at um, the size of the effect uh, you're looking at how correlated it is with other factors and it's very hard to just put that in an elegant single number without all those questions coming up so i think there's still work to do to make it more explainable i don't think we're done there yet so if I if I understood you correctly, um, the figures that uh, the key influencer visual, for instance, um, produces is more like a hint where to go deeper into your data model and your own visualizations um, so that I can answer my own questions myself or... That's, yeah, I think, I think that's how we would be looking to position it is um, this is the patterns we found in your data. By the way, this is what your data looks like. If you were to plot this yourself, this is uh, like the, the visual we show you, again, if we go through that example, would be saying uh, the percentage of customers from region A, this is the percentage of customers who converted from that region. We just automatically built that visual for you. And then we show you how many uh, customers converted from other regions. And so, you can sort of look at that data yourself and figure out if this is a uh, an insight that you think is worth pursuing and actionable, or whether you think that, okay, I understand that this is something that maybe this model came up with, but I don't think personally for me, this makes sense. I'm actually going to maybe focus on the second influencer for whatever business reasons I might have. So that is, uh, that's how we think of it. Got it. 
Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I've seen your your session from from Gardner, and um, I, I downloaded the file already. And um, what we could see there was this um, smart narrative visual, which is quite new, and you seem to be very proud about it. <laughs> so um, it, it was amazing to see that uh, it's the the other way around from the Q and A, making uh, written words to a visual. Now we do it the other way around, having a visual and getting all the comments. Um, it's still a beta. It's not GA yet. What can we expect? it to to be when it gets GA? Will there be a a lot of changes? Uh, Great question. Um, So I think a lot of that will depend on the community and the feedback that we get. So one, uh, you know, one thing I would love to just say here is if you are using it and you have any feedback to share, uh, please, please let me know. We are actively collecting all the feedback. We are literally counting the votes for all the different ideas we see across Twitter, across LinkedIn, across YouTube, across the community posts, across Power BI ideas, across emails that we're getting. And, uh, you know, there are hundreds of suggestions that people are coming up with. So it's often very hard to prioritize because you want to, you know, be able to cater towards all the different ideas that our community has. But ultimately, we're going to go after the things, the the reoccurring uh, trends and the reoccurring patterns that we're seeing come up from our customers. And of course, we have to evaluate whether something uh, might be you know, not very popular, but maybe it's a very small and easy uh, change that we can add. And so those things will also uh, come into consideration regarding um, the sorts of changes that we can make. Now, in terms of the specific things that I know we will be doing, um, which I can share, um, the others are still you know, sometimes unknown. Uh, we definitely want to get full coverage of templates across all the visuals. So right now uh, we have um, most of the visuals have templates. Uh, we want to make sure that all the core visuals in Power BI have um, have narratives that can be generated about them. So that means you know we have a couple of missing, such as the table, the card, visuals, the the map, and so we're gonna just work on getting full coverage over there. Apart from that, we have a number of ideas that we want to pursue. We want to have maybe more intelligent uh, templates, so things that are focusing, again, a little bit more on the insights, right? So if we're telling you, right now we tell you, for example, there's a trend, we would love to get to the point of being able to maybe explain that trend and do things like that. But those are still, uh, we need to figure out where they're going to fit in the whole roadmap and how long certain things are going to take. So those are some ideas we're having. I'm not sure where they're gonna uh, where they're gonna land. Um, I think we have some, you know, uh, some some ideas that are coming in from from our users about, uh, you know, maybe there's there's things around formatting. There's things about, um, you know, allowing you to create more maybe complex rules based on the template, based on the narratives. So if those are for specifically if you're authoring your own narrative, which you can also do as part of the visual. Uh, right now, we just allow you to slot in dynamic values. I've heard from customers feedback about wanting to do things that are more uh, rules-based. So, you know, uh, dynamically changing things if there's an increase or a decrease. But again, those are things I'm, I'm not committing for GA. I'm just kind of sharing some of the ideas I've been hearing from mm. the community. So we just need to cost those out and figure out where they land from a prioritization perspective. 
Um, but there's definitely a lot of there's definitely a lot of ideas coming in. So uh, I think the problem will definitely be how much of this can we fit in versus hey, what else should we do? The the there are plenty of things that we could be doing. <laughs> and are you the one who who defines the priorities or who who does that? Uh, yeah, so it'll be me along with the team. So we'll. Um, I'll work with the, the PM who's dedicated to that feature uh, on my team, along with our engineering manager and, and the engineering team. We, you know, we'll, we'll look at all of that feedback. It, there's a couple of things that determine what makes it in for GA. Like we, we do have, we do try and um, align our GA dates with, you know, various uh, important events that are going on around the uh, organization. Um, Along with, of course, the feature readiness and how well the feature is doing, how what kind of customer feedback we're receiving, if customers feel like it's GA quality or not, and how many features we want to add in. So those are all going to be factors that will determine uh, what basically the GA uh, state of that visualization is going to be. But yeah, well, basically, once we collect all that feedback, we literally sit down, go through like all of it, every tweet, every LinkedIn post. And, and figure out okay what are the things that really we should be we should be doing to make this better great that, that's something that really surprised me already a couple of years ago that you're really reacting on uh, feedback from Twitter that was crazy to see and a good yeah, development I, I think uh, you know Twitter is a great great uh, place in terms of having a highly engaged community um, I, I love it when I see people from the community, you know, posting their solutions or creative ideas. Like I saw, um, you know, a great, great post. Um, I think it was yesterday um, where basically the the smart, I don't know if you, if you saw this. Yeah, but, I, I did. Uh, I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, where there's basically the smart narratives visualization that Warren uh, Warren Dean posted where uh, the smart narratives was actually being used as a tooltip yeah. <laughs> within uh, the Power BI report. And as he was hovering over the various, uh, I think it was in a table, the, the narrative was updating, which mm. was just super cool. And these are things maybe we haven't even thought about how, how our customers are going to be using it. So it's a great place for just like inspiration and ideas and and, and seeing that feedback, um, I mean, we couple that with more structured ways of getting feedback from enterprise customers as well. So we do have a program within Power BI where we actually engage with enterprise customers and get um, and get more of that sort of uh, structured feedback about how things are landing within their organization and what improvements they want to see. But we want to couple that with you know, the ideas forum where people can vote on ideas, as well as the anecdotal things we see from LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter, where, you know, people are very vocal about uh, certain things. And of course, emails, we, we do get a lot of emails too. So it's really um, a balancing act between all the different um, streams of uh, feedback we can get. Um, because again, the more data points, the more types of customers you can uh, talk to and, and react from, I think the more well-rounded uh, and, and better the features are going to end up being because they cater towards all the different audiences and all the different use cases. Yeah, that's what I would expect. Sounds sounds uh, reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we, we are talking about the, the smart narrative visual, um, I hope the, the answer to this question is not subject to an NDA, but... How can I imagine working on this visual? How how many people? How long does it take? 
Uh, wh when did you start to to create this visual? Uh, yeah, that's um, I, I'll I'll be vague enough in terms of how much I can I can you know how much detail I can give. But we we did have uh, you know a, a, I would say a, a small sized dedicated team. It's we we have so many investments that we want to do in Power BI across the board. Um, we have investments you know across. Just if I look at you know my team, multiple AI streams and data flows, but then you know we have uh, just a ton of work that's being done across the self-service space, the office integration space, like so many different um, you know avenues. So we don't, I don't think we have you know huge huge teams dedicated for any single problem. It's more um, highly fragmented, small targeted teams who would be um, handling some of these. Um, and it, it does it does take quite quite a while for us to we want to think through these sorts of features carefully. So it it does take um, you know a a good couple of months for for something like that to get developed. Um, uh, we we do try and be uh, balanced between the amount of time uh, something takes and uh, being dynamic and giving you know earlier bits for people to to play around with. So that's why we do these sorts of public previews. So even if we think, okay, this is not fully done, we're not ready with this, let's just release it as a public preview and give the give the features to our users so they can give us the feedback on what else they want to see as we build it up for GA. So it's always finding the right balance between when is the right moment to release this, to start getting the feedback versus when are we fully done with something. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for the insights. So far, we have seen AI in, in many different places in Power BI. We have, um, of course, Power Query, where you can create custom mm -hmm. columns, column by example, um, or where you can import websites. Web scraping got a lot easier uh, through AI. And um, if you are in luck and have Power BI Premium, you can use um, uh, text analysis or Azure ML, as you already said. And uh, we have the visuals we were already talking about. So... We have it on the ETL part and in the visualization part. Um, will we see AI in the data modeling area in, in the near future as well? Do you see potential here? Um, so, uh, yeah, um, that's that's a definitely an area that um, we haven't done as much investment within the AI space. You're right. We've got things in the data prep. Um, I, I will call out that, um, you know, we, we have... The, in the latest announcements at Ignite, we have announced um, a premium per user that's going to be coming soon. So mm. the automated machine learning and cognitive services, just as a, again, shameless plug, you'll be able to use those as part of the premium per user uh, very soon as well. So hopefully that will be able to democratize those capabilities to, to more users. Because <laughs> um, I know that we, we've heard a lot of frustration about the premium, um, uh, premium price tag for those capabilities. Uh, I would turn that question around and say, Uh, tell us what you would like to see in this place. We don't get a ton of user feedback around how maybe you know uh, you know AI could be uh, used for the data modeling side. Is that something that you would like us to invest in, where uh, we would do automatic um, you know automatic labeling of things or automatic creation of measures based on your data model or performance? Like, what where would you see the um, the possibilities within this space, and I think that will that will help us get some signal. At this time and point in time, we don't have any 
specific plans and get our roadmaps are pretty short so we don't plan very very far in advance we plan for six month cycles so i would say in the next six month cycle we don't have any plans within the space but that can always always change <laughs> subject to uh you know subject to what we hear um and subject to priorities so for now um there's nothing in the space but that doesn't mean that can't change in the future so I will definitely put your um, Twitter handle in the show notes below as well. And um, yes, our, our yes, listeners absolutely. can send you feedback if they have. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I would highly encourage uh, every every listener to do that. Uh, because again, I, I we don't want to build things that we think are cool. We want to build things that our users actually, um, not even our users think are cool, but actually things that where uh, users have pain points, right? And these are yeah. pain points where we could really help help you solve some some of these problems that you're having so uh yeah always feel free to to reach out to, to me ping me I, i'd love to hear your feedback hmm. i was just thinking about <clears throat> many many business users are not used to to create data models and um, this is what i um, notice in trainings or when i work with customers when they come from um, non-technical departments like marketing or something mm -hmm. they simply have no idea why they should model their data and how and um, to to get support or assistance uh, with intelligence inside the product and i have no idea how this could look like um could be an idea yeah this is yeah, why i was I asking no and I, i think i think you're right i think that is a you know it's a it's pretty specialized knowledge we do want power bi to be a self-service tool for everyone to pick up so i think you're right there's an opportunity in being able to provide a guidance recommend maybe recommendations or automatic transformations to help guide a user into creating you know to getting their data into the right shape and format in order to be set them up for success right so yeah i, th I think you're right mm -hmm. um We're we're coming closer to the end. <laughs> um, when I look at your background, I, th I think you you've got degrees in politics, right? The master even from Oxford, um, and then you you moved to to Redmond to work for Microsoft in the AI field. That seems like a long journey. How how did that happen? <laughs> yes, you are correct. Um, so I. Uh, studied econ and politics. I ended my master's at Oxford in politics as well. So it's a it's a little bit of a of a change in direction. Um, a little I'm bit. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> my my original aspirations were definitely to be a diplomat stationed on a nice you know tropical island somewhere. <laughs> That's actually an aspiration of both me and my my best friend who I was uh, studying with. And uh, she is now a diplomat, and she's very angry at me because she followed through with our plan, and um, and I didn't. So, <laughs> um, so that was that was uh, you know didn't didn't quite go as um, as intended. But uh, yeah, I think um, I I started out actually after university in the consulting services at Microsoft. So a little bit of a different uh, space, and this was uh, still in the UK. Um, and I loved working for Microsoft, but I realized that um, my the initial job I had was was project management, and that I wasn't I wasn't too uh, keen on that. I really wanted to be on the product side. Um, but I was also trying to figure out, you know, given my you know skill set, given my background, which was a little bit different, what are the areas where I feel like 
you know, I could, um, firstly, I would be passionate about and where I feel like I could contribute. And what was interesting was um, as I started doing, you know, more research and, and, and learning more about the Microsoft ecosystem, um, I realized that actually Power BI, Azure Machine Learning were tools where that really did resonate with me a lot. When I was at Oxford, I did a research master's. And so it was a two-year program. And the first year was actually all about research study, uh, research methods, um, statistical methods. How do you conduct okay. research using statistical um, methodologies? My, uh, the Because it was a research master's, it was very uh, typical for people to convert that into a PhD. So it was like uh, you would just convert to do two more years and, and do your PhD. And your thesis was the supposed to be the basis for your PhD. So my thesis was very much based fully on quantitative methods. Um, and I realized that um, when I started looking at machine learning, I was like, oh, this is just uh, stats. You know, it has a fancy name, but it's just the same methods I was using uh, when I was doing my, my master's thesis. And so I got very excited because I felt like I finally found something that clicked, <laughs> that I understood, um, and I felt like I could actually, um, you know, I, I felt pretty passionate about. Um, it kind of was able to combine the things that I had learned there, but actually being a more dynamic and innovative space because, uh, you know, doing research sometimes can be a little bit isolating and, and lonely when, you know, you're kind of sitting and working on your thesis for hours every day and it's kind of the same thing over and over whereas this this felt like a really great combination and so i yeah i was really excited about this space and that's kind of how i ended up doing the move and um and yeah so it was probably a little bit of an unusual <laughs> way of getting into the space but um but yeah I'm, I'm, I'm happy that in some ways i'm happy that i went through that journey because i think it does give me an interesting uh perspective on on things uh, that I don't think I would have had if I didn't have that, uh, you know, bit of a different background. Um, so yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I think it was uh, definitely a good move. <laughs> so, sounds like you're successful and you're doing something you like. So um, I can't complain. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> that's what I expected. And um, the the label politics sounds more different than it actually is because that would have been one of my next questions. You have a statistical background, so. It's uh, it's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, it it, it definitely helped. Um, that was that was something that uh, you know it, it's it's different. It, it is a little bit different. Like for example, I think when you're doing research, there's so much emphasis on things like bias and doing like method, collecting your data in a very specific way and having all of your hypotheses before you actually um, even look at the data, right? You can't look at the data and then create a hypothesis. So there were some interesting things for me where I was like, no, 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 like we can't look at the data. We have to have our hypotheses first, you know, and all this. And But, uh, you know, it was uh, it was still, I mean, the, the overlap was uh, is, is very, very big. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how I guess it, it, it does kind of make sense a little bit. <laughs> Cool. That that doesn't sound that you regret your decision. So um, there, there's one question I always ask at the end of my my episodes, and um, that's if you could go ten years back into your own past and give your younger self um, a single piece of advice. It hasn't to be um, connected to your business. Um, what would that be? 
Uh, yeah, that is a, a good question, Lars. I think I, the advice I would give myself is don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. <laughs> uh, I think that was definitely um, a learning that um, I, you know I've had throughout the years where uh, I, I think at least again for me because I didn't maybe come from the typical computer science background a lot of the time I would not speak up initially or, or ask questions because I felt like those are just obvious things that I should just know yeah and um, and so I better just not ask because I'm gonna sound really silly and then someone else would ask that question for example and I'd be like oh well that mm. was I should have just asked and then I realized I'm still asking a lot of very stupid questions and it's perfectly fine because often people will be thinking of those questions and you just want to get more clarity um, and so uh, don't be afraid to yeah just ask ask whatever isn't clear or ask you know any question that might be top of mind and I think related to that just you know imposter syndrome is real <laughs> and it's uh, and it's fine and it and it doesn't necessarily really go away but you just get used to and understand that it's perfectly it's perfectly fine and it's a perf and it's a very i think um uh it's in some ways it's a little bit healthy because it means that you're uh kind of challenging yourself and and you know not getting too too comfortable so but but at least not to be worried about it you know it's it's imposter syndrome is real and it's and it's perfectly okay <laughs> that that's funny um, I, i learn oh sorry did i interrupt you no, 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 that was it. I, I learned about imposter in 2018 when I was uh, at the MVP summit. I, I heard mm. this term the first time in my life um, and it felt quite familiar. And since then, I, I feel the whole Power BI community, there's not a single person without this syndrome. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but all the people think they know not enough. And, and uh, yeah, this is kind of... Um, kind of a way to develop because you're never, never satisfied. But um, I think you should never feel bad because of that. Exactly, exactly. I think you put it super well that it's it's okay to feel it because it does help you keep striving to get yourself better and more knowledgeable and things. Uh, but it's okay, you know, it's, it's um, everyone, it turns out a lot of people feel that way. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with you, you know, and I think yeah. that was, that's an, just an important, was an important learning for me that, uh, I probably wish I would have felt more comfortable with sooner. Basically. And I do remember that, um, we already talked about him. Matthew Roach also has a, a blog post about exactly that, asking stupid questions whenever you think they are <laughs> necessary. Um, I, I, if I find it, I will put it in the show notes as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think Matthew does an amazing job at just striving and striving for clarity, and uh, you know, and I think in a from a product manager perspective, it's it's very important to uh, be super crisp about the customer's requirements because you don't want to be you don't want any ambiguity in the conversation, or even if you're talking about developing features, right? You you, you want to make sure everyone's on the same page, um, and so it was. Yeah, it was just something I think I struggled with at the beginning because I just didn't want to sound like, um, like I didn't, I, I maybe it was came from a place of, I don't know, like insecurity or something or just not wanting to sound um, like I don't know enough. But now I love asking all the stupid questions. So <laughs> That's a great learning. <laughs> yes. 
For sure. Yeah, that was kind of very personal. So thanks for sharing this. And um, th thanks for taking the time at all. We, we already uh, reached the one hour mark. Um, I think so. And um, I learned a lot. I think uh, our listeners did as well or will do in the future when this gets released. And um, yeah, keep up the great work. Um, I love your products. You. It's amazing. Um, and um, I hope you get a lot of feedback from this podcast. We'd love to hear uh, when, when several people um, have their requirements um, because they listen to this. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best for you and your family and your um, your colleagues. Um, stay healthy uh, during those crazy times right now. And um, yeah, thanks for your time. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, same wishes to to you, your family, and yeah, I will definitely keep you posted if I get any any feedback or uh, you know feature ideas coming as a result of this. I will <laughs> I will let you know. <laughs> if they require AI for data modeling, you know where it comes from. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I might send you some angry message. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 no, no, no. I, I I really do want the feedback, so <laughs> I'll I'll definitely I'll definitely keep you posted. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks. Thank you.